Hi, I'm Erin Gallagher, Interim Executive Director of This Is My Brave, and we're so excited to present to you this season of Our Turn to Talk, a podcast featuring young people who understand how important it is to talk about mental health. At This Is My Brave, we know that storytelling saves lives. We hope that this podcast inspires you to be brave with us and to start brave conversations with your family and friends. Just a heads up, this episode includes discussions of suicide and self-harm throughout. Please be advised. So I wrote a poem, and it sort of takes the form of a letter to my mental illness. Joe Perry is a poet and mental health advocate. Kind of a breakup letter or a declaration of independence, I guess. He considers himself an introvert, and poetry has given him an outlet for difficult emotions. Because we can't just write, hey, mental illness, it isn't me, it's you. That doesn't work. But I imagined, hey, something like that, what if it did? Dear my mental illness, when you first took hold, I was okay with it. But then your embrace grew cold, the friendliness faded, and I realized I needed out this hole that you had dug before it became my grave. But every time I tried, I just fell back in. So I just gave up. I didn't say a word while you consumed my world. But now, a flurry of my furious words flood these pages, leaving blood-like stains on these pages. Sounds of my shouts fill the stage. Ideas leak from my brain. You thought this was over. You thought you had me cornered. You thought you had crushed me. You thought incorrectly. I think I've found my way out. And I think I've found my way now, because this is me, frantically forming some semblance of an attack on your hideous ways. It's been planned, well thought out and calculated. Everything you do is deliberate, so everything I do has to be too. You thought you would be the death of me. I think in time you'll see how backwards you had it all along. I'll crush you like the snake you are. How will you bite with no head? (sighs) You've lived in mine for far too long, but now I'm smarter. I know your tricks. I'm stronger than I ever was. So come face me yourself, coward. That's all you are, a rat, a weasel, you no longer control how I feel or what I do, and I will crush you underfoot like the dirt you are, and I can do it too. Because I'm not alone. No, I'm not alone. There are people who want to hear my story told, but not yours. No, not yours. You've had the floor for the last five years. You've been giving me the fight of my life, and fighting you isn't easy. It takes all I have, at times nearly more, collapsed to the floor in a heap of sobbing mess, and what am I alive for? There are lows. And I know you will never willingly leave me. And as much as that'll always displease me, I think I can settle for being a mountain. And you, just a pebble, a fly on the wall. I can't quite swat. Just yet. Sincerely, Joe. So I went for that, you know? 
I just wrote. And then I kept writing. And then I kept writing. And I decided, hey, this is working pretty well. You know, it didn't make my illness leave me. <laughs> Wish it did, but it didn't. This is Our Turn to Talk, a place for young people to talk about mental health and how we're the generation to finally put our well-being first. I'm Anastasia Vlasova. I'm 19 and a freshman at NYU. Joe Perry is also 19 and lives in Gahanna, Ohio, just outside of Columbus. Over the past six years, he's been through a bunch of treatments. Some of the treatments I have been in, intensive outpatient, where we met pretty frequently in group setting, regular just one-on-one with a therapist. I have been in the hospital three times, admitted for a total of about three weeks. Group therapy setting for two of those, one was on a crisis stabilization unit. All of that and more got him to where he is today. It saved my life. I mean, what's the alternative? For me, the alternative would be six feet in the ground. Straight up, that's where I would be. And having lived through it, Joe's message to all of us has credibility. As he says, been there, done that. And it's also encouraging. I understand that you may not see the benefit of that right now. But I promise you, you'll see it eventually. Whether you're, you know, about to be admitted, whether you are admitted to a hospital, whether you are in an intensive therapy program, or whether you're seeing your therapist once every two months, it has benefits. The biggest testament I can give, I keep saying, it saved my life. That's the truth. In this episode, Joe shares his honest account of treating his self-harm and his attempts at suicide. We'll hear all of it. The treatments that worked, those that didn't, and how the written word continues to be an effective tool for coping with depression and anxiety. But let's start at the beginning of the story, when Joe was in seventh grade. I had such awful trouble focusing on anything. And, you know, later was like, you know, maybe not everyone has this much trouble paying attention to class. And just mentioning that, I think probably my doctor... And they were like, oh, that's a thing that people your age deal with sometimes. We can treat that. And I was like, really? Like, that sounds great. And, you know, later found out it was all, you know, ADD, had medication for it. I, I focus a lot better now. But simultaneously, that is about where the depression kind of starts being visible in the story. Joe struggled a lot after his grandfather died. I remember that winter because winter is always a huge deal for me now when I get through a winter and I'm doing all right. That winter was really bad. I I landed um, in the psych ward at uh, Children's Hospital here in Columbus. I ended up going back to the psych ward two more times that summer. It was a pretty low point. And this was all around the suicidal ideation. Two of the hospitalizations were for attempts. A lot of it was self-harm and just not a fun time to be Joe. Can't even lie. What made you not tell anyone about your mental health struggles in the beginning? Were you afraid? Were you embarrassed? What were some of the reasons that you kept silent about it? Uh... 
people aren't supposed to harm themselves, and people will look down on me for it because, in my opinion, it was something wrong. It wasn't like, I have an illness and they view this illness as bad. It was, I am doing an action that is categorically bad and they also will think it's categorically bad because I am seeking attention in a bad way, which isn't what I was doing. I was ill and I was showing symptoms of an illness and then consequently hiding those symptoms. That's like the opposite of attention seeking, Um, you know, but... the brain works in weird ways. It was definitely a internalized, I'm doing something that is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you were kind of just judging yourself for it. Yes, very much so. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I did the same thing, too. Like, initially when I started struggling a lot with specifically my, my eating, I was so ashamed and I felt just so... I, I just felt like my situation was so abnormal and that... Like, people would judge me for it, but only because I was judging myself for it. Yeah. Um, so, but I'm glad you're in a better place now because that— Me too, no, me yep. too. All of that for sure sucks. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not fun. I could still remember the exact moment I was with my doctor, and she had me fill out the uh, screening on the computer, and the last question was, have you ever— considered hurting yourself and I apparently paused for a little too long on that question because she started asking me hey is everything like all right are you doing okay and uh, clearly I wasn't yeah I just broke down you know it was it was a whole thing you know that's kind of about where I started getting help for that whole line of problems Joe's struggles with his mental health were made even worse by his high school's lack of resources and training. There were counselors, but they were more of a scheduling classes and class advising role. And the one school psychologist for the 2,500 students was actually a caseworker who you couldn't just walk in and schedule with. You had to jump all sorts of hoops, and no one could do that. Yeah. yeah, that was kind of the situation at my school as well. I think we had one psychologist for, yeah, around like 2,500 students. And she was only a part-time psychologist too. So she was there, I think, like two or three days out of the week. So yeah. it was really inconvenient, um, especially on the days where you needed her most. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think would have been helpful to have at your school? So background on this, I have panic attacks. And when I have panic attacks, one of the things that happens is I kind of twitch, kind of shake, you would think I was having a seizure. So what's happened is they used to, when I was having a panic attack or felt I was going to, tell me you should go to the nurse. So picture this, 14-year-old, like, scrawny kid sitting at a chair, freaking out having a panic attack. And this nurse, with a really loud voice, is, like, yelling at you like, oh, my God, Joe, Stop it. Just stop it. Oh, my God. And it's Sounds just, like my mother, when I was having a panic attack, would be like, snap out of it. Like, yeah. <laughs> like yell at me. And I'm like, Mom, this is not helping. Dude, it's how moms are. Yeah. It's how it no, works. No, but I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where twice she called the school resource officers, who are basically police officers we have in our schools, to come and try and, like, hold me in place so I would stop shaking, which wasn't ideal. And I'm like, you're the nurse. Think about your school nurse's training. 
they're great when you come to them and say, hey, I sprained my ankle, banged my knee up, whatever. They're not usually trained in mental health crises. Even more than the lack of training and resources, Joe didn't feel like he was treated like someone with a problem. Instead, he was treated like he was the problem. When you have a cold and you're a kid, what do you do? You go to your mom or your dad or something. When you feel like you don't want to keep living, who do you go to? I know when I was, when I was 13 and I felt like I needed to hurt myself, I didn't go to anyone. I didn't willingly go to anyone ever until I was 16. And that was after they knew. I mean, that's not a thing that we think is acceptable to tell people because we think we'll be judged for it. And truth be told, a lot of times we are. I remember distinctly the words my guidance counselor used were that I am a liability. And I knew that's how the school felt. And I know that's how a lot of people in this world feel. And that stopped me from getting some help. And I'm lucky because I have a wonderful support network of my parents and friends. But if you didn't have that and you were at my school and you were called a liability by the school, you wouldn't want to get help. I promise you wouldn't. I didn't. Then where do you go? There's nowhere. And that hurts me to know that. It hurts me too. But what's awesome about our generation is that we're willing to say it like it is. There's no shame in getting help. If I hadn't talked about it, I wouldn't be sitting here. If we don't talk about it, the amount of shine the world loses from the people who don't see the shine in themselves because it's being dimmed by their mental illness is so dramatic. And if they feel like they have no one to turn to, it causes people to stay silent. And when we stay silent, we lose a lot of shine. We'll be back with more of Joe's story and the power of poetry after a quick word from our partners. Hi, Erin Gallagher from This Is My Brave Again. Whenever I meet young people who are sharing their stories, I feel even more empowered to do the work that I do. If this inspires you too, I wanna tell you how you can get involved with us at This Is My Brave. Are you a college student? Our Brave Ambassador program is a student-led movement to create a safe space for yourself and your peers to talk about mental health and to break down barriers on your campus. And teens, if you feel like this is your turn to talk, check out our website for opportunities to share your story, including how to participate in our next national teen show. Go to thisismybrave.org for more information. Toward the end of his sophomore year, Joe Perry's English class had a lesson on poetry. Joe was fascinated, and that summer, he got hooked. So the poetry kind of, it didn't really pick up into like a serious thing that I would put out into the world in any capacity until I stayed on the psych ward again the summer after sophomore year when I wrote a poem. It was apparently something that the staff liked 
And so they just taped it to the wall. And I was like, yeah, okay. So maybe this can be used for something more than just keeping me sort of sane. I was going to say sane, but again, I was in the psych ward, so not quite fully <laughs> sane. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then that's kind of where I got out of the psych ward. And I was like, yeah, maybe I'll find a way to share some of this. What Joe may not have realized was that his instinct to document, on paper, what was going on inside of him is not new. Forever, humans have long looked to art to help us heal, to connect, to be well. That's Tasha Golden, the director of research at the International Arts and Mind Lab at Johns Hopkins University. If we think about it like evolutionarily, if we've always done this, it's probably because it does something for us. So it's worth figuring out what it is that it's doing for us and how we can make that more accessible to more people. So Golden and other researchers are trying to put actual science behind what creating art does for our health and mental health, specifically writing and poetry. There's a really interesting line of research into expressive writing, a researcher named James Pennebaker, who found that people who did not talk about their trauma appeared to suffer more than people who did. And so he developed this practice of what he called expressive writing that was a way to get people to basically write down and articulate the difficult things that had happened to them so that he could look at and measure how that was affecting their health. I mean, they've done hundreds of studies now over the last few decades of expressive writing, found all kinds of health advantage from like improved immune response, decreased absenteeism at school and work, like fewer doctor's visits, shorter hospital stays, like all kinds of things if people wrote down and basically articulated what they had been through. And Dr. Golden says that the messiness of the creative process is a necessary function of healing. It's not something that can be captured on an intake form. So if I don't have to just be able to say, this happened, then this, then this, if I'm able to more just dump things out in a way that maybe makes sense to my heart, but wouldn't make sense in a logical conversation sequence, <laughs> that's often really helpful for our mental health to be able to express an emotion without having to really nail it down with precision the way that we might have to if you imagine talking to a doctor or something like that. And then you have also this way to create some safe distance from your experience if you want to. Dr. Golden has found that most of all, it's the process of creating itself. That surrender is what helps soothe difficult emotions. The process of creating can kind of be this moment where like, I'm going to let myself be human. I'm going to let myself have feelings that I don't necessarily understand and can't control. And then once I have had that, whether it feels incredibly ecstatic or incredibly bad, a lot of times on the other side of it, I'm, I'm moving on to something next. So the first thing is to let yourself have the emotions. And then the second thing to know is to, is to have a next step, to not use it as a way to ruminate or stand still, but maybe use it as a way to connect. You don't have to be incredibly talented or even incredibly creative to get the benefits of a creative process. You just have to be willing to be curious with yourself and compassionate with yourself. Like, What is the human experience and how might this help me be with it and express it and know myself better and maybe share myself with somebody else? We know when it comes to mental health research is really important for our health and healing to be able to connect with somebody else. And the more that we share something with other people, the more that topic becomes, I always use the word talk aboutable. How do we make things talk aboutable? And often that's that's through the arts. It's through seeing that topic in a poem, on a stage, in a song, on a film. We become able to broach topics that otherwise we find really uncomfortable or too complicated. For me, drawing has been an amazing creative outlet. 
For you, it might be music, or dance, or literally anything else. But just know that talent is not required in order to have a creative process. And as we heard at the top of the episode, for Joe Perry, it's poetry. So I write a lot of poetry, actually. I do it as a coping mechanism, primarily. And I wrote a piece called Chameleon. And the poetry itself really helps me because I can get all my feelings out onto paper. And I don't have to share them with anyone, but I can if I want. Joe performed this poem at the This Is My Brave teen show in Columbus, Ohio in 2019. Chameleon. What does mental illness look like? No, there's a better question. What does it look like in me or in you or in anyone else? Because I'll tell you right now, it's not the same in everyone. And I know I'm younger than some of you, and I know I'm older than another few, and I don't know what you're all going through or who you even are, for that matter. Just that you care enough to come here, I think that's pretty cool. So without further ado, let's talk about why I think mental illness is a chameleon. I'll give you a few examples. Here's my story. We won't start where it begins. We'll start where it almost ends. I'll paint the picture. A picture of a 16-year-old boy Everything is going right for this guy. Then he tries to take his life a few times. I know you're either asking why or assuming, so I'll tell you. I thought this world was nothing but rot with pain and strife. I fought every day to see a light, to have a reason to stay alive, to keep living. I was clinging on to anything and everything, but in the end I found nothing. I was blind. There was stuff there to find, but a curtain had descended, and it's only now just lifting. And I know this is a lot of information for you to be sifting through. I'm going to jump back, back to a different time and a younger age, back to the seventh grade. I had fallen into a haze, recently diagnosed with ADD. I still didn't know what this meant for me. The world started to seem bleak, and I'll spare you the details, but let's just say that it left a few scars, and it left my mind slightly ajar. In poetry, you can't just write what you mean. You have to twist around a little bit the syllables and sometimes throw in some rhymes. It's not a straightforward speech writing. It's writing with just a little twist. And it has just this thinking element to it. And I've just been drawn to that thinking element. It's like a puzzle. How do I get this message to fit this format? Or should I make it fit this format? It's just a really unique medium. I was different. But then for a while, I was better. That's the thing about these diseases. They like to sneak up on you. When you're weak, when you're strong, when you're right, when you're wrong, up and to the point where it all becomes unbearable, and you snap until you're lying flat on the bathroom floor while your parents race to unlock the door. It isn't fun. I never asked for this. I don't deserve this. I just wish no one else goes through it because I never got the help I needed. I never reached out and said I bleed out and cry and ask this guy, why me? Why can't I succeed or see recovery? But I know why. It's this thing in my mind. It has me giving up on myself. I need to stand up for myself. And I need to stand up to myself. And it's hard. And the road is dark. But I have hope. And that alone gives me a reason to fight. Fight this horrid disease. But that's just what it looks like in me. Poetry is such an effective coping mechanism for me. For the same reason that people find talking an effective coping mechanism, you know? Just, or therapy with someone where you just sit and talk. 
It's because I can get all my emotions out. I don't have to bottle them all up inside. Um, whether I then tear up the poem and just throw it out, or whether I keep it, or whether I share it with someone or an audience, it doesn't matter. It, it's getting my feelings out of inside of me. Mental illness is a chameleon, a reptilian, cold-blooded piece of I'm so sick of it. Sick of feeling sick, of feeling like I need to stick a knife into my wrist. I need a pinch or a flick because this must just be a nightmare. Or maybe it's just one of those nights where I need to be with someone because I don't know if I'm safe or what I'd do if I was alone. But that's just me. It has many ugly heads. It chooses which to rear. I knew a girl who battled an eating disorder. And I say I would have done anything in the world to help her fight through it. But the truth is, I was useless. I had no clue this was going on. Beneath her smile, her illness, like mine, knew how to hide. I knew a guy with incredible love. He loved this one girl, and by that he was undone. She didn't love him, so mental illness told him to stop loving himself. So he put himself through hell. But he did so silently. And it was months before anyone found out, almost too late for him. You see, we all know a guy or a girl. Maybe they're close, maybe they're not, but that's not the point. We all know what it looks like. We just don't know that we know. And it's what we don't know that hurts us. So let's turn the page. Let's make a change. We all need to agree to wage a fallout assault on these diseases. Fight it while we're alive. Don't just mourn us while we're dead. We need to start at the beginning, not at the end. And the first step is knowing how to spot a chameleon. Thank you. Did you feel any sense of relief after you performed? Like a weight lifted off of your shoulders? Well, I think more than a weight coming off of my shoulders. Because I gave this performance and I saw people change from just looking to laughing to dead serious. I saw tears and I saw just so many different emotions. There were people came up and hugged me after the show and I was like, we all have this possibility to spread some message out. And I realized that my possibility was to spread this message out and spread my experience out to help someone else out. Gotcha. And what is your message for other young people that are struggling? So a piece of advice I might share to someone who is not yet through recovery is first of all, I'm not yet through recovery because recovery is is non-linear. It's not just straight line going up. It's up and down and up and down. Overall, you trend up. It's kind of jaggedy, you know? Thanks for tuning in to the season finale of Our Turn to Talk. But don't worry, we're already hard at work on season two. There are so many things to talk about with the upcoming season, But first and foremost is this breaking news that Our Turn to Talk will have two hosts. So keep an eye out on our Instagram page for more information. If you're a young person, we'd love to hear from you. What's your story? You can go to OurTurnToTalk.com to share. Okay, so maybe you're not ready to share your story, but maybe you have a question for us. We will be answering your questions in an upcoming Our Turn to Talk episode. No filters, no shame. Submit your question on our website, OurTurnToTalk.com. Our Turn to Talk is a production of Principal Pictures. We believe in the power and impact of storytelling through podcasts and films to build empathy and inspire change. Season 1 is a partnership with This Is My Brave. 
an organization using performing arts to fight the stigma around mental health challenges and addiction. I've been very proud to intern there for the past two years. A very special thanks to Executive Director Aaron Gallagher and Program Manager Katie Grena. Check out This Is My Brave at thisismybrave.org. This episode includes content courtesy of the WETA Wellbeings Youth Mental Health Project. Learn more at wellbeings.org and join the conversation with hashtag wellbeings. This episode of Our Turn to Talk was produced and edited by Patrice Howard, Megan Botel, and Mitch Hanley. Beth Murphy and Jennifer Marshall are our executive producers. Additional support in the field and in the studio from Hannah McEachern, Ed Kashi, and Ben Kolak. Support for Our Turn to Talk is provided by the Hollister Confidence Fund, the Hershey Company, Rosemary Van Otterloo, and the Russa Fund of the Community Foundation of Greater Washington. I'm Anastasia Lasova, and I'm so excited to be on this journey with you. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone. Erin Gallagher again. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Our Turn to Talk. Are you inspired by what you heard today? Are you ready to share your own story about your mental health journey? If yes, here's how you can do it. Go to thisismybrave.org and select Share Your Story. We can't wait to hear your brave.